In today's recording from Worship on Sunday, we have seminarian Nathan Laska preaching for us on July 9th, 2017, Pentecost 5. You can find the bulletin in the show notes. God bless your day. Good morning to Shepherd of the Lakes here in Fairmont, Minnesota. Um, my name is Nathan Laska. I am a student at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, about to start my vicar year, the third of the three years at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. It is my blessing and privilege to worship with you here this morning. Um, as we hear about the reversal that God makes on our sinful condition, our helpless state, um, our, the way we naturally are, enemies of God, how, how God reverses all of that, we get to hear how those details, how that all works, plays out in our epistle lesson this morning and how that works into our sermon, our lesson for this morning as well. We'll follow the order of service on page 38 in your red hymnals, starting with the first three verses of hymn 377. Please stand. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. 
We have come into the presence of God, who created us to love and serve Him as His dear children. But we have disobeyed Him, and deserve only His wrath and punishment. Therefore, let us confess our sins to Him, and plead for His mercy. Merciful Father in heaven, I am altogether sinful from birth. In countless ways I have sinned against you and do not deserve to be called your child. But trusting in Jesus, my Savior, I pray, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Cleanse me from my sin and take away my guilt. God, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven all your sins. By the perfect life and innocent death of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has removed your guilt forever. You are His own dear child. May God give you strength to live according to His will. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord with the fourth verse of hymn 377. Let us pray. O Lord our God, govern the nations on earth and direct the affairs of this world so that your church may worship you in peace and joy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Congregation may be seated. Our first lesson comes from Genesis chapter 3, where we see how it all began. All the problems that we see in this world, all the sinful attitudes, sinful actions, every single thing that rebels against God started right here in the Garden of Eden, recorded here in Genesis 3. We read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of, all, of, of it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. We join together in our psalm of the day, Psalm 31, found on page 77 in your hymnals. We will sing the psalm in unison.
Surely it is God who saves us. We will trust in Him and not be afraid. We've just heard about the fall into sin and about our woeful, sinful condition that we can't do anything about. But God can do something. We also heard about His promise, the first promise of a Savior. And we know that His promise was about His Son, Jesus, who lived for us and died for us. And here, in Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us the details of how this reversal of our sinful condition, of all the curses God spoke down to us, are going to be reversed and changed, and the way out, what the way out looks like, the healing of our sinful condition, what God's going to do. Romans chapter 5. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, so also death spread to all people, because all sinned. For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now sin is not charged to anyone's account if there is no law. And yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. This is the word of the Lord. Alleluia! Because we are His children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Alleluia. Congregation, please rise for the gospel reading. Gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Here we see just a little illustration of what that healing from God looks like in this life, and also we keep in mind the healing of our eternal status, our eternal life. Matthew chapter 9. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him, Jesus, knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. 
When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. This is the gospel of our Lord. Congregation may be seated and we'll continue with our hymn of the day, hymn 379.
Congregation may remain seated. Our lesson for this morning comes from our epistle lesson from Romans chapter 5. I will not reread it at this point. But grace, mercy, and peace be yours through, through the knowledge of God and through faith in His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I wish I would have been bold enough to answer my coworker's question correctly a few years ago. She asked me, do I deserve to go to hell? Do you think I deserve to go to hell? We had been working together for almost a year. She was an unbeliever, an atheist. We'd had several discussions. And she asked me this question. And I wish I would have been bold enough to tell her the correct answer. I was younger. I was afraid. I was... I'm sure I can use a different excuse. I didn't say the correct answer. The correct answer being, yes, you deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. All of us, everyone in the world, deserves to be punished eternally for our sin, willful or not, against God. We hear in our first lesson this morning where all of people's problems started, where sin began. And we can trace all of people's problems back to the fall of sin, back to the Garden of Eden, back to this topic covered in catechism, back to this topic covered in Bible study of original sin. And people so often try to deny this teaching of original sin because of the effects of original sin. Adam's sin has consequences yet today. Sin and death go hand in hand. They always have. You look at a newborn baby, you can say, it's a beautiful newborn baby. You can also look at a newborn baby and say, that's a sinful newborn baby. Romans 3 is known as the saddest chapter in all of history, making known that sin and death always go hand in hand. It goes on to say how Adam lived 930 years and then he died. How his son Seth, who was born in Adam's image, not God's image, lived 912 years and then he died. And on and on it goes, repetition after repetition after repetition, making known how the consequences of Adam's fall were serious and prolonged and poignant generation after generation after generation. We can think of our humanity like a river and how it is polluted at the most imaginable lake of headwaters that there is. 
and all that water is just floating down, generation after generation, stream after stream, delta after delta, and we are just polluted as Adam and Eve and those early forefathers were. We read Romans 5, verses 13 again. Verses 12 through 13. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. The Richter scale was invented in 1935. And the Richter scale's purpose is to record and catalog the intensity of earthquakes. What would you think if someone hypothesized, thought that before 1935, before there was a catalog of earthquakes, that there wasn't, there, earthquakes didn't exist on this planet, that earthquakes didn't happen. They weren't cataloged. You would think that person is a fool. And this is kind of the logic Paul is guarding against as he, and writing against as he writes these verses, he can just imagine certain people saying, Adam and Eve didn't technically sin. Abraham didn't technically sin. Isaac, Jacob, the twelve sons of Israel, they didn't technically sin. The Mosaic law wasn't given yet. They didn't technically do anything by the book wrong. And yet we see how that logic is fallible, is wrong, certainly. Adam died 930 years later after he lived. He lived 930 years. All of these people that we just mentioned died. Sin and death go hand in hand. The wages of sin is death. And, and in Romans, God's people's first catechism, Paul is trying to get these basic concepts set up and understood and communicated, understanding the connection between sin, death. And here in, verse five, here in chapter 5, he makes the turn into grace. What God does about this horrible condition that leaves us with a pit in our stomach every time we hear about it, <clears throat> that leaves us with a helpless feeling, Paul wants to make us know that we are not helpless with God on our side. And this turn, this turn of words, this turn of topic starts right here in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. A pattern of the one to come, meaning Christ. <clears throat> See, Adam is the only person 
Adam and Christ are the only people on earth who can claim that they are born without hereditary original sin. In regard to their human nature, they began at the same place. They have the same pattern, the image of God. Adam ruined it. Christ kept it. And Christ changed the way God looks at us, changes what God sees when he looks at us. Because of his work here on earth and his innocent suffering and death on the cross. The best way I can explain original sin, or sin in general and humanity, is this way. Think of a tie that is dropped into a huge vat of mustard. Every single fiber of that tie is ruined, is stained, is is in a very bad condition. And yet, we wouldn't say that a tie needs mustard to be considered a tie. Nor would we say that humanity needs sin to be considered humanity. And that way we can say with certainty that Christ was truly a human being, redeeming what he assumed, redeeming what he took on with his, with his flesh, redeeming every single human being on the earth, because he was indeed true man, without sin. He was conceived in a unnormal way. He can claim, along with Adam, that he was created, he was born in regards to his human nature without sin. See, instead of a mustard-stained, sin-stained tie, God gives us a second article of clothing, a robe of righteousness, Christ Jesus' life here on earth. And he wraps us with that robe of righteousness and he sees us wearing that robe of righteousness all the time because of Christ and what he has done. How does this robe of righteousness get from God to a human being? Baptism. This is why the teaching of baptism is also so important. There at the baptismal font, Christ claims people as his own, as members of his family, clothes them with that perfect, stainless, white robe of righteousness, and sees that person as as holy, as perfect from that day forward. This is why these teachings are important. This is what Paul is trying to stress and build up as he goes on in this epistle. This is what catechism instructors to young children try to instill and work up and and teach people going forward the basics of these truths. The gift is greater than the trespass. The gift removes our original sin. God doesn't take away our original sin. We will pass it down from generation from generation still. But it changes the way God 
sees us. I had the privilege of baptizing my both niece and nephew when they were born. And my niece was very quiet and calm. My nephew was not. He had something to say at his baptism. And I think what a blessed illustration a crying baby, screaming baby is at baptism. It's a perfect illustration, a better illustration than I could ever write or talk about. How God takes a screaming sinner, kicking, screaming, fighting, and claims it as his own out of love and mercy and grace. Claiming that child as his perfect family member. The gift is greater than the trespass. It removes our sin. It covers up our original sin and it removes our transgressions. We read verses 15 through 19. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so, the re- so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. See, the gift also removes our willful transgressions. Paul here makes a change of word choice here. He, he goes from the word for missing the mark helplessly to the word for crossing a line knowingly, where the guilty party knows he's doing something wrong. The offended party knows that the guilty party is guilty. There is no ignorance to be claimed in the word transgression. Everyone knows what's going on. Adam, for that first sin that brought sin into the world, knew what was going on. Sins in our life where we know that we are sinning against God belligerently, Those things keep happening day after day. We, you and I, keep breaking God's commands knowingly. Keep rebelling against God knowingly. The gift removes yet our trespasses and transgressions. For in in verse 17, the gift followed many trespasses. We think of all the Old Testament trespasses, and we're just naming a few. Rahab the the prostitute who, who helped the spies. 
the sin of David and Bathsheba, the idolatry of the kings of Judah. All of these trespasses happened in Jesus' own human bloodline. But the gift, which is Jesus Christ, followed many trespasses. We also see how sin is exponential. We see that every day. One sin against God usually always leads to two, three, four, ten more in the lives of, in our own lives and in the lives of others. We see how sin is exponential and sin keeps growing and festering in our lives. Verse 17 again. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We see in Genesis 3, verses the Gospels, how Adam and Jesus were different. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where Adam doubted and rebelled, Jesus obeyed for the eternal salvation of you and me. Adam was in a garden with trees all around when Satan whispered to him, did God really say? Jesus was in a desert for 40 days without food when Satan whispered to him, did God really say? And we see how the actions of both people, both representatives for humanity, are starkly different. Adam failed where Jesus succeeded. The gift greater than the trespass. See, that whole story of the temptation of Jesus is not a how-to manual of how we should live our lives. It is a declaration proclaiming and making known, factually stating what Christ has done for us. Verses 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. Gift is not like the trespass. It removes our transgressions, wipes them completely off the board in God's sight. God sees us as a perfect, obedient child of His. Perfect father, perfect son, perfect neighbor, perfect spouse, perfect evangelist to those around us. God sees us as all of those things because of Christ and what He has done. We see how much more efficient the moment in time where Christ cried out, It is finished. How much more efficient that moment was than the time where Adam and Eve 
fell into sin and disobeyed God. It took generations upon generations upon generations to build up sinners from that moment in the Garden of Eden. It took just that one moment, that one cry from Christ, it is finished, to forgive all of those sins that have been created through the centuries. The gift is greater than the trespass in every single imaginable way. It covers up our original sin, relieving those consequences. It removes our transgressions in the sight of God. This is what I meant to say to my coworker that one day, the sermon I wanted to shake out of my sleeve at that time. This, these are the basics of, of Christianity, what Paul wants to teach and push forward and make known. The consequences of sin are serious. The gift is greater than the trespass. Removing our original sin, covering up our original sin, and also removing our transgressions and trespasses against God. Amen. Please stand. Now may God who began a good work in you, may he carry it on until completion until we go to meet with him in our eternal home in heaven. We'll confess our faith now using the, the Apostles' Creed found in your hymnals on page 41, I believe. Together we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Congregation may be seated and will continue worshiping the Lord with our offering.
Please stand for the prayer of the church. For our prayer this morning, we'll use the prayer found on page 130 in the front of your hymnals. Page 130, the responsive prayer found there. Almighty God, we acknowledge with thanks all that we have enjoy all we have and enjoy is a gift from your gracious hand. We come before you today in heartfelt appreciation for our nation and its people. You have enriched us with the bounties of farm and factory, the beauty of forest and mountain and the marvels of medicine and science. Look with favor upon our nation and preserve our cherished liberties. Enable our leaders to govern with wisdom, honesty, courage, and justice. Protect those who serve in the armed forces and those who maintain peace and safety in our communities. Keep our financial institutions secure and our economy strong. Bless our fields that they may produce abundant harvests. Guard us from calamities of nature and accident. And spare our land from the ravages of disease and epidemic. Strengthen the homes of our nation. By your spirit, lead husbands and wives to love each other. Parents to nurture their children young adults to assume responsibility, and children to show respect. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. To you, O Lord, we bring our thanks and our requests. And we now join in the prayer our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. Congregation may be seated and we'll continue with our next hymn, Hymn 394.
Please stand. Almighty God, we thank you for teaching us the things you want us to believe and do. Help us by your Holy Spirit to keep your word in pure hearts, that we may be strengthened in faith, guided in holiness, and comforted in in life and in death. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Live in harmony with one another and serve your Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Congregation may be seated and we'll conclude with our final hymn, hymn 406.